Hi, welcome to the Live Room Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Heather Knezik. As a mama of three, a labor and delivery nurse, a birth educator, and a mama who's been there, my goal is to help you find your way to an empowered, confident birth and beyond. So get comfy, snuggle in with a nice cup of iced coffee or decaf, and hang out with me and other moms in the same stage of life as we talk about all the tea. Here, we will share real-life experiences, dive deep into important, fun, and sometimes hard topics, while always dishing out actionable step-by-step methods, tips and tricks, mom hacks, and golden nuggets that you'll be glad you heard here. From trying to conceive, pregnancy, birth, breastfeeding, and the baby stage, we're going to dig into all the nitty-gritty, the down and dirty, the real-life, no-sugar-coating good stuff that you've been looking for on your journey to and through motherhood. Because mama, labor doesn't end in the delivery room. Let's get started. All right, mamas. Hi. I cannot believe that we are doing the very first episode of the Labor Room podcast right now. I've got to say, it hits different. It feels big. I don't know why a podcast episode is any different than hopping onto Instagram stories or sitting in front of a camera to record a birth course, but somehow recording my voice to what appears to be no one is actually so uncomfortable. But I really appreciate you being here with me for this very first episode. It really means so, so much. I'll tell you, I've been gearing up to record this episode for months, and today I just decided it was the day. There is nothing special about today. I'm not suddenly more prepared than I was yesterday. All three kids are home with me. My husband is at work right now, and it makes absolutely no sense that today is the day. But something just gave me the push, and so here we are. But today's topic is a fun one that I know you'll love and relate to. We are going to talk about some pregnancy myths that I think are super important to debunk and set the record straight. I feel like pregnancy, especially a first-time pregnancy, but honestly, it doesn't matter how many times you've been pregnant, it is really, really easy to get sucked into believing things that are just simply not true because we don't do this every day. No matter how many kids you have, pregnancy and birth is still kind of exciting and a little bit nerve-wracking each time, and if you haven't been told the truth behind these myths, it'll be really easy to fall victim to their traps. I think that one of the biggest overarching themes that I like to constantly reiterate is that information is power. Having accurate information that shapes your decisions, it can affect your well-being, and of course, it ends up influencing your birth outcomes, including the safety and health of your baby. So, Knowledge really is power, especially during pregnancy. Pregnancy is a time when you're at your most vulnerable You're doing something important, something uncomfortable, something maybe a little bit scary, something that you know that someone else like your provider or other moms might have more information than you do. So it sometimes feels most natural to just assume that the information being given to you is the best, safest, or most important and relevant information. But that's just not always true. Instead, sometimes the information that we're consuming is conflicting, confusing, or just downright wrong, and that can send us into a spiral of either anxiety and frantic Googling or paralysis, where we stop trying to learn altogether and we just throw up our hands and say, forget it. I'll just go with whatever flow comes my way. 
And really, neither of those things are great options. So with that, let's talk about the five myths that we can debunk today. I think that the first two myths are ones that you're definitely probably thinking about, ones that you probably can predict that I'm about to debunk, but then the next three, I dug a little deeper, and although they might not come straight to mind when you think about pregnancy myths, they're probably some of the most impactful and most important to set straight. Okay, so myth number one, eating for two, or really changing a whole lot about what you eat or how much you eat at all. This one is prevalent, isn't it? The idea probably came from the belief that you need to intentionally overnourish your own body in order to feed your baby. But the truth is pregnancy only requires about an additional 300 to 500 calories a day in the second and third trimesters, nowhere near doubling your intake. And those extra 300 calories that you need are often not something that you need to think about or add in as a conscious quote unquote, addition to your diet, listening to your body and eating when you're hungry is often enough to make sure that you're getting the calories that you need to grow a healthy baby while also giving you your own body, everything that it needs. Your body is smart and it will tell you when you're missing something. Often your body will speak to you in the form of hunger signs, obviously, or energy levels or those strange cravings that we get when we're pregnant. If you feel good and satisfied after eating, you can probably be confident that you're likely getting enough to nourish yourself and your growing baby. On the other hand, forcing yourself to eat when you're not hungry or finish your plate when you're already full or order an extra serving of dessert just because you can get away with it when you're pregnant can potentially lead to increased weight gain and unstable blood sugars for you and your baby. I know that being pregnant is definitely a time when we are hyper aware of how much nutrients we're getting because we want to ensure the healthiest baby possible. And let me tell you, that's a great mindset to have, but keep in mind that if you're doing your best, then you're doing your best. No need to stress over having an imperfect diet. As long as you're avoiding some of the biggest concerns, such as any amount of alcohol, more than 200 milligrams of caffeine a day, some unpasteurized dairies, unwashed fruits and veggies, or high mercury fish. If you're trying your best to get your daily intake of your prenatal vitamin with folate and DHA, then you're doing your best. Even that can sometimes stress expecting mamas out because their prenatal vitamin makes them sick. They have severe morning sickness or they can't keep anything down and are actually losing weight during the first trimester. Fortunately, though, these tiny little babies are really good at getting what they need, even if it means stealing everything that they can from you. So if you keep forgetting to take your prenatal or if you've thrown up so many times, it's hard to believe you're getting the nourishment you need. Hang in there. Your baby is more resilient than you think. And so are you. You're doing your best and that's the best you can do. So that actually leads me to the second myth, which is morning sickness. Yep. The whole idea of morning sickness myth. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. But if only it were that simple, right? What I'm actually saying when I say that my second myth here is morning sickness is that the idea of waking up in the morning sick as a dog, but then the nausea fades away as the day goes on is not really the reality for most. Although not everyone will experience pregnant sickness at all, those that do most often report that it's not isolated to the mornings, but instead it lasts all day. But what is true about morning sickness is that it is often worse when you're hungry 
or when your stomach is empty, which just so happens to be first thing in the morning. It's not so much about the time of day, but about what's going on in your stomach at the time. The problem is if you're sick first thing in the morning, you're probably not going to have much of an appetite for food the rest of the day, which will be mean that you're battling between knowing that you should eat, but feeling so nauseous that if you do finally eat, you're just going to throw it right back up. So for many expecting mothers, a few tricks to keep the belly settled can help quite a bit, as long as they aren't suffering from something called hyperemesis gravidarum, which is a problematic form of pregnancy sickness that goes beyond what is typical. We won't get into hyperemesis in this episode, but unfortunately for those that suffer from it, some of the simplest tricks just won't work. But for the rest of us, I recommend having a snack waiting for you on your nightstand that you can eat as soon as you open your eyes in the morning before you get out of bed. I remember when I was pregnant with all three of my kids, this was essential for me to keep my nausea under control in the mornings. If I didn't have a snack by my bed, Dean would start talking to me or ask me something in the morning and I would literally have like an internal moment of panic. And I would tell him, okay, stop talking to me. I need to eat something right now. (laughs) It was really that urgent. If you can eat something small like crackers in the morning before you get out of bed, you just might be able to make it to the kitchen without heading to the bathroom first. From there, make yourself a cup of ginger tea to sip on as you try to figure out what sounds palatable for breakfast. And if possible, blend your liquid prenatal vitamins into your morning smoothie or a small cup of juice to avoid having to swallow pills, which I know for me was the worst part of my pregnancy sickness. I used to gag just thinking about swallowing a pill. So liquid vitamins are what saved me many times. Now let's uncover the third myth. Your cervix should dilate before labor begins. Not only has this one myth caused countless women so much unnecessary worry, but it has given me my fair share of gray hairs. This myth inspires more inbox voice messages than any other question that I get asked by a long shot because it really gets me fired up when I have worried first-time moms coming to me saying, I'm 39 weeks and I'm only half a centimeter, or I'm 40 weeks and I'm still not dilated, or this one, I'm 36 weeks and I'm still closed. What do I do? Like what? Nothing. You do nothing. This is normal. Celebrate that your body is doing exactly what it should be doing. So the cervix's job is not to be a crystal ball for you to look at and be able to predict when labor will start. Instead, its whole job is to keep baby in until he or she is ready to be born. If your cervix is still closed, unless you have a medical condition that is making you and your provider have a discussion about possible induction, you can celebrate that your cervix is doing its job really, really well and protecting your baby from the outside environment just like it should. Here's the thing. Do some people dilate before labor begins? Absolutely. Are some people one, two, three centimeters dilated before they even have their first contraction? Totally. Yeah. Is that a bad thing? No, it's great. It's always nice to have a head start prior to labor starting. But the truth of the matter is this. If you and your neighbor share a due date and your pregnancies are pretty identical and you guys are excited that the big day is coming up, so you share your experiences at your most recent doctor's appointments, 
And at 36 weeks, your neighbor is one centimeter dilated and you're still closed. And then at 37 weeks, your neighbor is two centimeters dilated and you're still closed. And then at 39 weeks, your, your neighbor is three centimeters dilated and you're still closed. And then at 40 weeks, neither of you has started labor yet. And you're both just sitting around saying things like, oh, this baby's comfy in there. I'm not having any signs of labor starting. Who do you think will have their baby first? If you said your neighbor, well, you might be right. But if you said you, you're just as likely to be right. The cervix does not predict when labor will start. In this scenario, you and your neighbor can start and finish labor at the exact same time. You could go into labor well before she ever does. So if you take anything from this conversation, it's this. If you're approaching your due date and you decide to accept a cervical exam out of pure curiosity and your provider tells you that you're quote unquote still not dilating, remind yourself that still is an unfair thing to say since you haven't even started labor yet. And labor is what's supposed to dilate your cervix. Any amount of dilation prior to labor is a bonus, not a requirement. Hey mama, this moment right here, right now, it's all about you. Your journey, your strength, your excitement, and I know your questions, so many questions. I get it. You've probably been wondering, what am I getting myself into? Maybe you're a first time mom to be feeling a bit overwhelmed about the upcoming birth or a seasoned mama still wanting to feel more prepared this time around. Well, mama, you're exactly where you need to be because I have the labor and delivery guide to offer you and you can have all 150 pages of it printed out on your lap before this episode is even over. The Labor and Delivery Guide is a comprehensive, downloadable, and printable guidebook created specifically to answer your every question, dispel your doubts, and empower you through knowledge. From those final appointments to understanding different stages of labor, from when to head to the hospital to the ins and outs of inductions, from managing unexpected C-sections to navigating possible complications, this guide is going to be your reassuring companion. But with your guide, you also get five outstanding bonuses in which you'll unravel the true nature of labor pain, understand your rights in labor and delivery, navigate potential birth trauma, and gain answers to frequently asked questions. Plus, receive genuine advice from moms who've been there, sharing what they wish they'd known before going into labor. Listen, I've made it my mission to help you switch from, I'm so nervous, birth sounds terrifying, to I'm ready for this baby to come. Knowledge is power, Mama, and this guide is your first step in harnessing it. So, are you ready to embrace your birth with confidence? Grab your labor and delivery guide today at www.alifeinlabor.com slash labor and delivery guide to prepare for one of the most impactful days of your life. Because you, Mama, you've got this. Now, on the same train of thought, let's move on to myth number four. If you don't go into labor by your due date, then you're overdue. Listen, your due date is just an estimate and a mere 5% of babies are born on their due date. But you know that. We all pretty much accept that quote unquote due means that it's a little bit of a range, right? I mean, how common is it for an expecting parent to hit 37 weeks and say things like anytime now, even though their due date isn't for another three weeks? And at 38 weeks, parents might be saying that they are hoping to be dilated at their next appointment. 
And at 39 weeks, women are searching for ways to encourage labor, and they might even be trying some home induction methods to kick things into gear. And still, their due date isn't for another week. So in general, we accept that the due date isn't very accurate. If we go into labor three weeks early, we're good with it. If we go into labor one week early, we feel like we're winning because we know that this is the likely the right time for baby. But somehow going even one single day beyond that magical prediction is somehow meaning that our bodies are failing us. Somehow now we're in the danger zone. We start to give up on the belief that our bodies can or will go into spontaneous labor and give us a healthy baby. What? Do you see how skewed this is? That we are totally comfortable with our due date being so inaccurate that we are comfortable with our baby coming anytime between 37 weeks and the due date, but not even one day over. Well, the reality is that the vast majority of healthy pregnancies will go into spontaneous labor between 39 and 41 weeks. This is the most common time to expect your baby to come and when labor will most likely happen. Might you go into labor at 38 weeks? Yeah, maybe. It's a little less common than 39 weeks, but still totally safe. Might you go into labor past 41 weeks? Yeah, sure. Less likely than 41 weeks, but still not abnormal. So let's change our frame of mind around the due date. Let's let go of the idea that you might go into labor at 37 weeks. Could you? Yeah, just like you could at 36 weeks or technically at any other time during your pregnancy. But it's probably not something you should expect or sit around waiting for. Let's also let go of the idea that you, if you've seen your due date come and go, that your body failed you and you'll need help or intervention in order for your body to go into labor. Instead, give yourself a more realistic range. Go into your calendar and circle your due date. Now find one week before and one week after. We are replacing the anticipation over your one magical due date and refocusing it into this two-week labor launch pad where labor will likely begin. This leads me to our fifth and final myth, that you can quote-unquote induce your labor at home with a few simple tricks. This one is complicated. Lots of things are known for their abilities to bring on labor. But as a labor and delivery nurse, I want to fill you in on something that I wish was more common knowledge. It is very difficult to force a body to go into labor before it's ready. In the hospital, we do lots of medical inductions for women who would benefit from giving birth long before their due date. For example, a person might be admitted for an induction at 37 weeks because of severe preeclampsia with unmanageable blood pressures. The benefit of staying pregnant would put mom and baby at risk, so the induction is definitely needed. But at 37 weeks, it's going to be a long, hard process because that baby is just simply not ready and your body will not be as receptive to induction medications as a woman who is 39 or 40 weeks pregnant and already gearing up to go into labor on their own. The same medications that might send you into full-blown active labor in a matter of four hours at 39 weeks might take a full 24 hours to even get you to three centimeters at 37 weeks. 
A 38-week induction might require six doses of Cytotec, a dose of Cervidil, a Cook's catheter, and 24 hours of high-dose Pitocin before you're ready to start pushing. While at 40 weeks, an induction might only need one dose of Cytotec and 12 hours of low-dose Pitocin. Same medications, completely different result. And of course, the range is huge, and it can be anywhere in between those examples I just gave. But this happens because it often takes more persuading to convince your body to go into labor when it knows that baby still has a little more cooking to do. So the same will be true for any kind of home induction methods or techniques that you might find as well. I often speak to women who have come into labor and delivery hoping to have some cervical change because they've been curb walking for weeks or if they, they've taken castor oil and the only result they got was a bout of some ugly diarrhea. But the thing is, if your body isn't ready for labor to start, these methods aren't going to be beneficial. Walks around the neighborhood are great at any stage of pregnancy, but if you're constantly curb walking, sitting on a birthing ball, eating pineapple until your tongue is raw, and trying all the things from early on, like 37 weeks, you'll find that all of your efforts are actually just exhausting and discouraging you rather than actually encouraging labor to start. So keeping in mind healthy activities like walking around the neighborhood, swaying on a birthing ball, engaging in some pregnancy yoga, doing psoas stretches to help open the pelvis, these are all really great things to do to prepare for labor when it does start, but doing things to encourage labor progression or cervical dilation will be best saved for 39 to 41 weeks when they will actually be productive. I'm sure in future episodes, we will definitely tackle more myths, maybe even talk about ways that you can encourage labor when the time comes and expand on some of the topics that we've discussed today. But for now, that wraps up our five myths that we needed to bust today. I really hope that you've enjoyed this episode and that some of the myth busting that we did today has helped you refocus your attention on some of the truths that we highlighted. If you enjoyed this episode, I would absolutely appreciate it if you would give me a follow or subscribe and give me a quick review. Every single subscribe and every single review is going to make me jump for joy as I embark on this new podcasting journey and as I do my very best to keep encouraging, educating, and empowering new mamas through all the labors of new motherhood. See you next week, friends. And there you have it. We just wrapped up an episode of the labor room podcast, and I hope that you're leaving with some new insights and feeling fully capable in your unique motherhood experience. Now, before we tune out, if you loved this episode and you want more information, encouragement, and tips that are more specific to your stage in pregnancy, I would love for you to sign up for my completely free pregnancy week by week email series. Pregnancy can feel like an exciting yet mysterious time. That's why this personalized email course is designed to start right where you're at. Whether you're just beginning to experience those early pregnancy symptoms or you're closer to the end of the ride, these emails are sure to give you the boost you need. Head over to alifeinlabor.com slash week by week to get signed up. Thank you so much for joining me today, friend. See you next time. The information you're providing is so powerful and so helpful to have an empowered and beautiful birth. I was so fearful of giving birth. I had only heard horror stories, so I really liked following your account because 
you really made me feel empowered and that I could have a really positive experience and confident and just knowing that this is what I was meant to do. It has given me confidence to be my biggest advocate in the delivery room. How easy it is to actually be empowered during our pregnancies and our labor and delivery stories and it helped me feel confident in my most recent pregnancy. Seeing you go from two boys to now a family of three kiddos, two boys and a girl, has sort of given me um, or inspired me, given me some motivation to get my family ready to possibly try for a third baby. And I don't think I would have had the birth experience I had without all of her advice and her help and her tips. You helped me so much through my pregnancy and birth and I look forward to future ones because of you. A life in labor is so relatable and every mom can get something out of it. Thank you, Heather, for posting relatable motherhood content in a positive and encouraging way. And knowing that I am not alone on this crazy journey called motherhood.